You're listening to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Welcome to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Burkholder, and today I am flying solo. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Eric Kahn fangirls, uh, but the five-foot-tall Sasquatch will be back next week. Uh, I would like to point you to uh, the Wilderness Warrior website, wilderness-warrior.com, where you can see our latest episodes. You can also go to our store and you can check out some of the sweet merch that we have, uh, t-shirts, pint glasses, and there's other content on there as well that I would encourage you to take a look at. So this episode, I want to talk about something that is one of the most primal virtues in masculinity. It's one of the primary motivations that brings us men out into the wilderness. So in in my personal experience in hunting and fishing, there are many moments of satisfaction when, especially when successful, pushing through difficult situations like the weather's bad, competition from hunting or fishing pressure from other people. We've seen that a lot, right? You go out in the mountain and you're like, oh man, it's a pumpkin patch out there. Or, you know, in the Midwest during gun season, it sounds like World War III out there. And you've got deer running all over the place. Or maybe when you're fishing, like there's a, there's a local lake that I like to go to and uh, take the kids. And we fish for bluegill, right? That's what kid I like. I like bluegill. I say the kids, I take the kids, but I actually go there myself because I actually like to catch bluegill. And you can see the bluegill. They're on their beds. And normally, I mean, in an unpressured situation, it'd just be hauling in fish after fish after fish. But these fish, I don't know what it is. The water's clear. They can see you. They've seen every worm from Walmart the last four weeks, and they just, they just don't have any interest. And so finding like that pattern that actually works, which sounds ridiculous on Bluegill, but believe me, there is a pattern. Or maybe um, you've made mistakes, like you've been winded or um, you, know, you blew up a, a, a valley, all the elk are gone. Or, you know, you, you, you sat in your tree stand and you thought the, the wind was going to be different than it was. And you hear a doe like that really obnoxious doe that just starts blowing and stomping and just making all sorts of racket. And you're like, come on. Like overcoming those sorts of mistakes or when I'm fishing, you know, you're, you've got this target. It happens, especially fly fishing to me. So, you know, you're, you're on the stream. And you're trying to make this perfect cast right, right into this brush pile. You just wanted to get it around it. And of course, you go right in the middle of the brush pile. And now you've got a snag in there and you just blew it. Like you're, you're not, you're not probably, you're going to lose your fly or you're going to have to walk over there and you're going to have to pull it out yourself. And, and that spot is done. So when you over, overcome those difficult situations, whether they're out of your control, it's like, rain, hail, wind, or from other people, or, or just your own mistakes. And even, for example, in the, in the West, you get this a lot with tags that the normal guy can draw. It's 
the success rates are low. There's a reason you can get these tags. Uh, I know in Utah, the archery elk season, the general general archery elk is like, man, it's like 8% success rate. 8%. 8 elk out of every 100 guys hunting. I mean, that's low. And so when you're actually successful on a hunt like that, or when you're actually successful in having a targeted species as a fish, and you actually catch them, I mean, there's elation that comes from success. It's amazing to overcome those, those odds going into the wilderness where you're not at home. That's not your living room, but you happen to fool something. You happen to trick something, sneak up on something, put on the old Mohican sneaking and get in close with your bow and you shoot that elk or you hang your tree stand in the right spot and you've waited so many hours and you had that doe blow at you in the morning and it's 11 o'clock and you stuck it out and you get that buck that comes in and you arrow it or whatever the situation, when you're actually successful, there's elation that comes with that success. I mean, there's the whole shaking hands and quivering knees sort of thing that comes with that, that adrenaline rush from being successful. I've had that both in hunting and fishing. Another moment of satisfaction that a successful hunt brings, especially with Western big game hunting. So pardon me, Eastern guys for a minute, but uh, is, this, is, this is one of my favorite things is the last load of meat. You finally, after hours and hours of grueling, sweaty, work so hard you want to puke, sort of meat hauling. When you shoot an elk, you have a good five loads. I mean, unless you're superhuman, I'm sure Eric is superhuman. So he probably only has two. But in all honesty, I mean, there's only so much that a human being can carry. Some of these guys, you know, the Instagram guys and the, the YouTubers, they're like, oh, yeah. 125 pounds, no problem. Like maybe that's great for Cam Haynes. Um, but for Dan Burkholder, I, I ride a desk. That's what I do for a living. I don't get paid to work out. And so 70 pound load is, is pretty darn heavy. And you, you haul that out after miles and miles of just grueling, sweaty, hard work. And you drop your pack on the tailgate, the last, the last load. And oh man, that is one of the best feelings. Finally, you're done. You can sit down. There's no more meat. That's it. No more meat. There's no more trips. The head here, you get to just sit. You get to have a cold, frothy beverage and you're done. Like the work is done. That is so, well, I mean, that part of the work is done. (laughs) That part of the work is done. If you butcher your own meat like me, then you still got some time. But, But for the hunt, and hauling the meat, it's done. That is so much satisfaction to doing that. Just taking the backpack straps off, rolling your neck around. That is great. And you know, the thing is, as, as much satisfaction as those events, part of the, the success of the hunt brings, and, and those things are also hyped, right? They, they're also celebrated. That's what the YouTube guys do. That's what the Instagram guys do is you see those moments. Those are the ones that are celebrated. But the, the, I think one of the more under-celebrated items from a successful hunt is that primal virtue that actually drives us to go to the wilderness. 
the most primal virtue of masculinity that drives us to the wilderness. And that is the virtue of provision, of being a provider. When I pull my truck into the driveway and my wife comes out to greet me with a kid in one arm and little boys running around with excitement to see what daddy got, and I open the tailgate, their reaction to me is the greatest satisfaction of the experience. That's the greatest satisfaction of the experience. I mean, after all, isn't the the whole point of going out into the mosquitoes, the black flies, ticks, climbing mountains or climbing trees, sweating through your clothes or freezing your fingers to the point where you're wondering, like, where does frostbite begin? That's why we do this. It's what drives us. We go to the wild places and we hope to gather something from the wild to bring home and feed our family. And you can even see this in kids, right? I remember uh, for myself when I was young, man, I, I took a paddle boat out onto the lake at my uncle's cabin, right? A paddle boat is like the least efficient way that you can actually travel on the water. It's not exactly what I would call stealthy either. But I remember um, catching my first like legal smallmouth bass on my own, you know, just like a 14 inch smallmouth bass in Wisconsin. And I brought it home. Man, I was so excited. That paddle boat was whirring. So I show my mom, you know, I knock on the door of the cabin and I have the fish behind my back and she comes to the door and then I bring it out and show her. And th- my mom is a good mom. And, and let, I know that our show is really popular with housewives and moms. This is one of the best things you can do for your little boys. Husbands, encourage your wives to do this. Be impressed by your boys when they are successful like this. And so my mom, she just gives me a big smile. She covers her mouth and she's like, oh my, look at how big that fish is. And I'm just so proud of myself, right? So pleased. I'm actually, as a you know, probably 10-year-old boy, providing for my family. That's one of the greatest virtues of masculinity is to go out into the wilderness and to take something from the wilderness and bring it home and to feed your family. One modern idea, and I don't think it's, it's wrong necessarily. I think it's overemphasized is this idea like, oh, successful or not, it's all about the experience. And I mean, I, I can only speak for myself on this, but this idea of experience is just misplaced materialism, right? So it's an overcompensa- overcompensation for, for materialism. Like, oh, you just care about the stuff. What's really important is the experience. Don't buy your kids stuff. Buy your kids experiences. Like those are things that are going to endure longer. I mean, experiences are good. Things are not bad. I mean, things are good too. But this idea that we worship experiences is something that, that lasts longer. I think that that's just misplaced materialism. And, and no matter what, like, you know, if you, if you think back into your own experience, catching that big fish, you know, I've caught some pretty big fish in my life, being successful shooting, shooting that deer or elk or whatever big game or turkey, man. I mean, some of my best moments were shooting turkeys, which is silly because I don't, I, I like hunting turkeys, but it's not like something I get crazy about. But for some reason in my mind, like shooting turkeys, is one of those moments that I, an experience that I go back to and I'm like, man, that was awesome. But the thing is, you never capture that experience again. Like the only way you can actually capture it again is to do it again and to be successful again 
but you're never going to be able to replicate it. And there's never going to be another first deer. There's never going to be a first turkey. There's never going to be that first largemouth bass or that first muskie or, or whatever it is. Like you can only get one and you can never get that back again. And so we worship this experience like, like it's something that transcends materialism, but it's just misplaced materialism in a lot of ways. And so when, when someone says like, it's not about the success of the hunt, like the success is measured by, the, by how good the experience is. Well, what happens if your experience is terrible? What happens if you have a terrible experience? I mean, you still, you still could be, I've had hunts before where it was just like, oh man, that was horrible. I was successful. I don't ever want to do that again. But we worship the experience then instead of the success. And so I, what I'm trying to say is if we overemphasize any one portion of this, you know, if we, if we worship like, oh, it's not worth even going out unless you get something, or we just say like, it doesn't matter if you get something or not. It's just all about the experience. How about you just enjoy what you're doing? Just have a good time with it. Don't put the pressure on like, we have to make this the greatest experience ever. I I know that we do that a lot with our kids. That's why we set them up for success by doing small game or duck hunting or something like that is because we do want to have a positive experience. But I guess this, this rabbit trail is all to say like this, this worshiping of the experience, I think in a lot of ways denigrates one of the virtues and the purposes of actually going out and actually catch and release fishing does this a lot too. But that's another conversation for a different day. Uh, I'm all about conservation and like catch and release is fine and all that. But, but what it does is it, it removes this, this virtuous principle that is ingrained in men. And that's to go out to work hard and to provide, to bring something home for the family. One of the most primal virtues of masculinity is to be able to provide. I mean, the scriptures even say like, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty strong language. That's pretty strong language. That's like masculinity 101. Provide. Provide for your family. And this is obviously, the scriptures are obviously talking about something other than hunting. That, that, now that's some pressure right there. If you're going out hunting in, in Utah, uh, archery elk season in a general unit, you got an 8% chance. I don't think that the scriptures are talking about that. One of the virtues of masculinity that can often be denigrated is this idea of provision, that men are made to provide, that we get satisfaction from providing. Like I said, when I come home, even if I'm fishing and the kids, they want to see what's in the cooler. They want to see what fish I got and they want to see me fillet them. They want to see me clean them. They want to see me cook them. I mean, this, this brings satisfaction to me. It makes me happy. I actually like doing that. I like bringing things home. I like it when my wife says, I am so impressed that you went out into the mountains in the cold and you shot an elk and you brought it home and are feeding our family. I respect you for that. That is one of the greatest satisfactions that a man can experience. But with the feminization of men and the, you know, just generally the feminization of culture, in a lot of ways, we've attempted to tamper that down. We've tried to, the culture has tried to eliminate that to celebrate things like stay at home dads, like they're the real heroes, like stay at home dads. That's, you know, the, the epitome of of a man's purpose is to let his wife go out and to provide 
while he stays home and acts like mom. I mean, that's just one example of this effeminization of men is a stay-at-home dad. I get seasons like if you lose your job and you just have to make things work. But I mean, this is, this is, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like guys that actually do this as, and they're told like, oh man, you're a great dad. That's like the best you, I mean, being a mom is being a good dad. Like that's ridiculous. That's a, that's obscene. It's displacing your masculine drive and trying to feminize it. It's, it's disgusting. It's a hollow life in a lot of ways. You're not operating in your role. You're not operating in your design. Maybe, maybe you're not with me at this point. Maybe you think like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, of course I got to go out and work. I get a paycheck. I go out, I catch some fish, you know, bring it home. Like I, I don't get the, the fizz like you do from, you know, from bringing a deer home. Let me, let me give you a different picture. Okay. There's a movie that actually Eric brought up. He's like, Hey Dan, this is, this is a great movie. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I've watched that movie before. It was really good. I had to watch it again. It follows a, a story of a man named James J. Braddock in the, in the movies, the Cinderella man. But essentially what happens is there's a very successful boxer named James J. Braddock in the 1920s. He's climbing the ranks. He's a contender for the title. And, and he's raking in money, right? He's raking in money. And then the, you see him win a fight. He's going to contend for the, for the title. And then the next scene is them just living in utter poverty in the early 1930s, well into the Great Depression. Apparently, he had invested most of his winnings in the stock market. And it all came down. And he started losing fights. And so this guy is just, his family can't pay the bills, right? They can't, they can't pay their electric bill. They can't pay for milk. They're living in just abject poverty at this point. And it's the story about how he, as a washed up boxer, comes back. And you see one point in in his fight, in this fight, he gets another chance at, and making it big. And he is just getting pummeled by this one guy. And as he's getting punched, it goes into flashbacks into his mind of empty milk cartons and kids crying and kids being sick. And you see this moment where he gets just absolutely smashed in the face, just haymaker right to the, to the mouth. And his mouth guard goes flying and he sees these things and he walks over and he grabs his mouth guard, he puts it back in his mouth and he smiles. And later, after he like utterly crushes the guy, the reporters ask him, like, what's different? What's changed? You were losing and now you're winning. And he says, I, I know what I'm fighting for. And the reporter says, what, what's that? And he said, milk. And we see this guy who is failing, a lot of it due to external circumstances, at providing for his family. And he gets an opportunity and he knows how bad it is and how bad it could be. And he's going to do whatever it takes, sacrificing his body and working hard in order to provide for his family. And we see that movie and we celebrate it and think how amazing that is. That is so masculine. Like, honestly, that, that story of that man 
who knows his motivation. He knows what he's fighting for. And it's just primal. It really is like one of the most basic, ingrained, God-given virtues of man is to provide. And we celebrate that movie. One of the ways, though, that we can hone that, one of the ways that we can readjust, recalibrate our compass is, though, through the wilderness. We've, we've said this before, our, our, our tagline, our, our mantra for the show is forging dangerous men in wild places. And the wilderness is a dangerous place where men are forged. They're made to provide. That's one of the main aims of the hunt. It's one of the main aims of fishing. Is to go out and to overcome difficulties. And to go into a place that's foreign. We don't live in it. I don't live in it. I live in a suburban neighborhood. And I go into the mountains. And it is foreign. And we try to provide. We overcome those those obstacles to provide. What for? Well, I mean, yeah, bringing meat home, that's one thing. But if we're not using the wilderness as a way to hone our skills, to give ourselves mental toughness, to thicken our skin for the main provision of our family, which is to use your trade, your hands, work hard with your hands, to use your job, your business, to provide for your people, to provide for your family, for your generations, then that's really one of the main purposes of going out in the wilderness is this model of provision to overcome hard things, to continue to provide, to continue to strive. Even when you fail, even when external circumstances come, you have, I mean, we talked about hunting pressure. I mean, nothing is more frustrating. There are very few things that are more frustrating than when you're on a stalk and you see a different hunter go in and just blow it, right? Or some, some jack wagon who's like, his wind is just getting spread all over the place and he just blows the place out. That's outside of your control. You know what? When you're on your job, things happen. People just screw things up sometimes. Outside of your control, not to mention the mistakes we make. I mean, government regulations, taxes, just other people sabotaging your work, not doing what they say they're going to do. And our goal in the wilderness then is to build that toughness, to build that toughness, to get creative, to not get despaired just because things don't go your way. And so we should be using the wilderness to, f- to forge, to make, to harden our resolve to provide. We should be using that to harden our resolve to, to provide. So that when you go to work and your coworker is slacking, you don't become utterly destroyed and undone like some snowflake. You work hard. You figure it out. You overcome obstacles. So why? Why? So that you can provide. So you can bring your kids milk. Like that's, that should be our aim. The wilderness isn't the destination. We should be using the wilderness though to forge those virtues of masculinity so that in day-to-day life we can set up patterns to where we overcome obstacles and adversity and things outside of our control and lean into the plow and keep providing for our family. 
I mean, one of the aims that motivates everything that I do is to leave an inheritance for my grandkids. I'm not wealthy. I didn't come from money. My dad was a UPS driver. I mean, my mom stayed at home. We, I'm not expecting an, an inheritance from them. And my dad worked hard, and I'm very thankful for it. He's a godly man, and he worked hard every day. I, I'm standing on his shoulders, and he's put me in a position now to where I actually have a chance to leave an inheritance for his great-grandkids. And so that's one of the things that drives me every day. And that's one of the things that you should look at in your own life is like the wilderness, getting your buck for the year. That's great. Providing that meat is great, but you should be using that and your experiences there and your frame of mind in order to provide for your generations and to get creative and to overcome obstacles and to be hardened in order to do that. And so I guess in summary, one of the things that I... I guess I would want you guys to to think about is especially this time of year. Uh, you get wanderlust. I do. I want to get out. I want to go fishing. I want to go mushroom hunting. I'm applying for or I've I've applied for most of my tags. I still have Wyoming to go. Uh, pronghorn. It's easy to to lose focus. It really is. It's easy to lose focus on what's it, what's actually of the greatest value. What I want you guys to do is to calibrate your your targets. You need to adjust the mills on your scope, so to speak. I know that was cheesy, but whatever. Hang in there. I want you to not give up the wilderness or forsake hunting or your wanderlust. Like I, w- I want you to actually use those things, though, to feed the mission, to direct the mission. And that's at providing for your family. Don't neglect your family. Don't neglect your wife. Don't neglect your kids for the sake of pursuing whatever dream you have. The greatest hunt, your 50-inch musky, you know, whatever it is, that's great. Go for those things, but use that to fuel the actual mission, the actual mission of providing for your family, of providing for your grandkids, the thinking generationally. I want you guys to think that way. And so that'll, that'll be all for today. Uh, hopefully Eric can join us next week, and we look forward to another great episode of The Wilderness Warrior. Until next time, men, live dangerously, be wild, and embrace the wilderness warrior way of life.